This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short routes. Boys are back. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is Reception Perception, the show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Go, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception Perception, the show. All right, we got a great show lined up here in front of you today. I thought, Matt, today it would be uh, great not only to react to some of the action that we saw this past Sunday, but also kind of taking a look forward and, and maybe a little bit of a look back as well as some, you know, again, we're about halfway through the season now. Uh, again, talk about maybe some surprising performances. Can they keep that up? Maybe some disappointing performances. Are they going to look for a rebound? Those kind of things at the halfway mark. But uh, week number nine, can I ask you just straight up? I had this thought as I was going through my Sirius XM show. Is, is this or was this the worst week of NFL quarterbacking you have ever seen collectively <laughs> in your career? I mean, dude, it was up there. Um, <laughs> and, and, I mean, and it's, again, you just look at some of the quarterbacks that were playing. Obviously, we, you know, injuries and bye weeks and all those kind of things. But man, it was a rough go this week, dude. Yeah, really rough go. I mean, I use the word unserious and often, uh, like an awful lot. I use it pretty often. <laughs> uh-huh. But what the Cardinals rolled out in week nine was oh. absolutely unserious. I mean, jeez, just ridiculous. And like, there is very few times I think in the NFL, we talk about a lot on the outside and I've, I've railed against like tanking culture and like tanking allegations on, on Mm -hmm. the show a lot. Right. Mm, I don't know. (laughs) 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 Week, week, uh, week nine Cardinals might've been one where it was like, you know what? We actually like, we talk about this too. Like maybe they'll hold him out through the bye. Maybe they'll hold this player out to avoid this really scary matchup. For the most part, if players can play, they just go ahead and play for the most part. I do think maybe the Arizona Cardinals, because as we're recording this today, uh, Monday, they activate Kyler Murray off uh, PUP and they say, hey, if all goes well practice wise, he's going to go ahead and be playing um, in week 10. Makes me think they're like, yeah, you know what? We will really want Kyler Murray back out there, but really not trying to see that be his first game against the Cleveland Browns defense Browns, and Miles yeah. Garrett and the guys. I, I am really interested in um, what this offense looks like with with Kyler Murray for sure, but not interested in ever seeing Clayton Toon play again. I mean, oh my God. Tommy DeVito, so Jaron Hall barely. I mean, he barely played. He got knocked out of the game. Brett Rippon, yeah. oh. you know. Horrible. It's just some Bryce Young. I mean, just some real, really bad quarterbacks playing uh, in in week and, and nine. Even, and even guys that we thought were good last year, like for example, you go to Seattle, right? Like Geno Smith. What? Like yeah. what did what did I watch in that game? I mean, holy hell, that was bad. Jordan Love in that same Brett Rippon game. I don't think he played that well either. No. You know. Um, so no, we Taylor got some Heineke. Real, I mean, you know, I oh, Heineke all, in the mix. all yeah. respect in the world to ODU's finest, but I mean, seriously, Thursday night we get Kenny Pickett and, and Will Levis, I think has shown some yep. stuff, but he's still For a sure. rookie 
in his second start and he's not CJ Stroud. So he's not the second coming as a, as a mere rookie. <laughs> I mean, just from a pure, a pure fantasy perspective, Derek friggin' Carr and Tyson yep. Bajan are QB nine and, and 12. Wow. Week. I mean, just crazy stuff. And I wouldn't say watching that game, either of those guys played anything remotely close to good football. So yeah, pretty disastrous quarterback week. Um, I do think from a Seattle perspective, man, that Ravens defense is so good. And like, we need to start regarding them as like a, they're just going to stuff everybody in a locker and, and, and just, that's the type of unit they're going to be. Um, I, I think we'll see what the Seahawks offense is really about maybe against the commanders next week, but yeah, yeah. just some really, really quite, we didn't even mention Aiden O'Connell, Gardner Minshew. These guys are starting games. Um, it's, it's a really, you know, I talked about like the, the the state of quarterback play generally, right? Like how there's yeah. just so much like it's young a down guys year. that ha- it's, it's a, such down a down year. year. <laughs> young guys ha- haven't taken the leap. Injuries no. have obviously created situations where like, all right, yeah, Brett Rippin is starting a game, and Gardner Minshew's been starting forever for Anthony Richardson. So, um, hey, it's 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 C.J. Stroud's world, and we're all living in it in terms it's of true. the young quarterback right now. Yeah, true. There, there is no young quarterback that exists other than C.J. Stroud. But you also cannot help but make the comparisons each and every week to Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. You can't, you, you can't help but do it. You know, I mean, C.J. Stroud's out here tossing five TDs, setting rookie records in a single game for passing numbers, and Bryce Young's out here. I mean, throwing multiple pick sixes. You know, and. And to be fair to Bryce Young, I think he's played better as of late. He obviously took a huge step back this week. But at the same time, you know what? He's playing like a rookie. A lot of rookie right. quarterbacks look like this. It just happened to be we're talking one-two, and you know, Carolina had an opportunity right, th- right there. They had an opportunity right there with C.J. Stroud, and they went with Bryce Young. I mean, you can't just help make those comparisons, man. Right. We talk about how like bye weeks with rookie receivers is it's usually like, all right, after their bye week, maybe they can start being more comfortable, but it's not magic. Same thing with the quarterback position where Bryce Young against the Texans, ironically, the only like good moment for the Panthers all year. Thank God is that they beat the Texans because that would have been a really <laughs> rough week if they lose to Houston, but complete right. 71% of his passes, 8.23 adjusted yards per attempt. That's easily his best game. And then probably his worst performance is the week right after that, right, right after correct. their bye week. The Texans, right. his best game. The Colts game, his worst game. And that really is just where Bryce Young is at this point. And um, it's, it's you're always going to compare these guys. And I don't think like it's a hot take to say that Carolina took the wrong guy. That doesn't mean that like Bryce Young is going to be bad forever, right? Like we can give the guy grace that. Sure, look, sure. Seven sure. games into his career, eight games into his career, we don't know who he's going to be yet, right? Like, I think he could yeah. still be a viable starting quarterback in the NFL, maybe even be an above average starting quarterback in the NFL. But it's just like, it's not a hot take to say that, like, the guy in Houston has been so much better, has shown so much more traits, and frankly, showed all this stuff in college that's what's yeah. so, like i know i'm not being i, I know it's kind of silly to be like oh man people really slept on cj Stroud. he was the second overall pick in the draft like whatever. but <laughs> yeah exactly still the guy right. had to sling through so much shit in the pre-draft process whether it was the 
S2, you know, pop yeah. quiz nonsense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Failed his SOLs basically with the with the damn S2 or whatever. And then it was, oh, well, we never see him in creation mode except then that Georgia game. Who cares if he's never in creation mode when he can sit in the pocket and throw five <laughs> touchdowns? Just so darts, slinging darts all over the field, baby. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and, and again, I mean, just all, all the traits were there and, and it was just wide. And, and again, I think a lot of people, myself included, uh, I know our quarterback guy, Derek, uh, uh, Derek Klassen thought the exact same thing. Like, wait, how, why is Bryce Young even being considered for yeah. the number one? It's so clear that CJ Stroud's the number one guy. Uh, anyways, I, I feel I do feel bad for Carolina fans. I feel bad for I, and honestly, I, I feel bad for Bryce Young, too. It's like, you know. He's out here developing. Like I said, he looks like a normal rookie quarterback. This is what most rookie quarterbacks look like. You know, yeah. it just happens to be that CJ Stroud is like on some kind of like historic pace right now, which is just, it's tough to see. Uh, if that makes it worse. Guy. And it makes it worse too. Like the destination that Carolina, like the, the road they took to get to the destination basically where, yeah. you know, it wasn't, but 24 months ago, you know, 12, I mean, shoot, like 24 months ago, like the beginning of last season that they had Christian McCaffrey and they had DJ Mm -hmm. Moore. And and I get it. You obviously had then Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold are your quarterbacks and you're going to be bad, but you ship off McCaffrey, you ship off DJ Moore. And it's like, well, of course you do, you do these things to get the quarterback, but then what are we sitting here saying with, with Bryce young now? It's like, well, Look at the guys around him. And it's just this like vicious cycle where <laughs> if you don't draft and develop players or you do yeah. draft and develop players and then you trade them away to go get the quarterback, it's like, man, um, really wish they had a, a, a Nico Collins type of young receiver, right? Sure. Wish, wish they had um, like, I mean, even Dalton Schultz, like it's crazy that two of the biggest and I'm you know biggest in quotation marks because none of these guys were like truly difference makers. Although they did give one of them a lot of money. Two of the biggest off off season additions for the Carolina Panthers. Like let's just get NFL players around Bryce Young. We'll mm-hmm. sign Hayden Hurst as a tight end. Let's yeah. sign Miles Sanders as a running back. Well now right. they're already playing like former incumbent guys uh, like Tommy Tremble at tight end. They're playing him over Hayden Hurst. <laughs> Chew Hubbard at running back. They're playing him over Miles Sanders. Just what an outright disaster! Like so many yeah. missteps along the way right. to before they even arrived at the destination of we're taking Bryce Young first overall um, in a class where there were two other viable alternatives with like next year's draft, which I know next year's draft is always better. And it's not as if like Caleb Williams is having the season where he looks like a truly transformative prospect. He's been fine. Uh, You know, Drake may has been pretty good, but like there were other alternatives than, than to do what they did and what they did looks like the worst possible choice. (laughs) Hey, not for nothing too, by the way. Okay. We're talking about the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Potentially having one of the top picks and North Carolina's Drake may is sitting there for you. Do you know what I'm saying? You got these storylines built in, baby, you know? So uh, there is some of that uh, in there too, which uh, again, just, it's just, there's got to be teeth gnashing if you're just a Panthers fan. Anyways, we'll move on. Okay. But I want to kind of stay with this theme here. Okay. We talked about uh, CJ Stroud. 
Um, and, and, and the, you know, uh, how, you know, he just looks amazing right now, man, uh, where he's setting historic rookie records, uh, in regards to his quarterbacking play. Uh, certainly one of the guys that he came in with in this draft class was a fellow by the name of Nathaniel tank Dell. All right. So he had himself a nice little breakout game here. I want to play a game of real or mirage. And by this, I mean, Hey, do you think this is the real deal? You think it's a one game blip, you know? How and why can this guy sustain, or how and why do you think this guy might fall off? Okay, so I want to start with Tank Dell. Uh, 11 targets, 6 grabs, 114 uh, yards through the air, and 2 touchdowns. Real or mirage, Tank Dell? Real-ish, right? Like, I think there's some potential for him to continue to have these games. He's actually been very feast or famine all year. Um, Right. Like, this is just his receiving yard line all season, right? Three for 34 in week one, seven for 72 in a touchdown, five for 145 in a touchdown, one for 16, three for 57, three for 16, six for 114 and two touchdowns this past week. So definitely his high watermark, uh, I believe it was his highest target share all season long last it week. Was, so yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he looks like a, a really, really good NFL player. I think uh, his reception perception profile shows you that one, he can beat man coverage. He's a mm-hmm. he's a really good route runner. He was a good route runner in college. He showed he could beat press coverage despite being a smaller player in his collegiate reception perception sample, which I think was again a really, really good sign for Tank Dell. He's a guy that can fly. He can win downfield. You know, post routes and corner routes I think are probably going to be his specialty. And when you have a guy like C.J. Stroud who plays with high key anticipation and is yeah. fearless dropping whole shots down the field. It's just a perfect, you can, you can see why CJ Stroud went to the Texans front office or uh, apparently like after they took him second overall, we're like, Hey, do me a solid. If you're going to take a receiver for me, go ahead and take <laughs> this guy tank Dell. Cause like, I bet you I right. can hit him on those corner routes that he runs extremely well. So, um, and that is a lot of what we saw against Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a big time comeback win. So, I think it's real-ish. He's going to have these type of games. I think he will definitely have games where, yeah, he catches one pass or three for 16 or something like that. I think it's going to be a little feast or famine with Tank Dell just because of the right. archetype of receiver that he is. Uh, but still a guy that they can move around the formation and, and get a lot of mismatches with. Uh, by the way, Tank Dell, it, it's, it makes a lot of sense that the Houston Texans, again, there's that, I'm just saying, there's this connective... You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know it's in like a, a completely national game. You can go coast to coast, but it is funny, don't you think, that like a lot of these guys, a lot of these teams pick guys from local areas, you know? There's yeah. that connective tissue there, and certainly a guy from the University of Houston in Tank Dell makes a lot of sense playing for the Houston Texans. So I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. All right, you said this is a guy that that can that can win you win you know deep uh, post quarters uh, a couple of routes that uh, that you highlighted there. Uh, what are some limitations to Tank Dell's game? Why do you feel like again that this is not just a full on let's just get it going, uh, but that there might be some slow weeks mixed in here too. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. I think some of like, like, is he going to be a, is he going to be a ball winner on like outside the number passes? Like if he has to run a deep go route, you know, anytime you're a smaller player and like, you're not an elite a tier route runner, like mm-hmm. uh, Steph Diggs or like even uh, Devonte Smith, um, you know, some of the struggles with press coverage and like stacking defenders like that. I'm always going to say like, Hey, it's, it's going to be a little bit feaster fan there. I mean, I don't want to say that he's a bad player or anything like that. That's not no, what I'm no, saying, no. but yeah, yeah, no. but just like, yeah, full on pedal to the ground. Like I still think Nico Collins is a more valuable receiver in that offense because he could play that X receiver position. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that like he's going to always, I mean, even last week, like right. I don't, there's been some, and this is just like, jealousy stuff i think there's been some like fantasy oh man i'm really panicked about nico collins i mean 50 yards and a touchdown like you're not you're fine getting that out of nico collins you're fine relax um but i still think that x receiver position is really critical but like the big plays the lid lifting stuff that can be tank dell um if he continues to improve and and is is as good against press coverage as he was in college in the nfl then i think i'm saying he's like a, a true starting like he's a starting receiver but yeah like um more of a guy that's going to, you, you're going to feed a ton of volume to on a weekly basis. Instead of, like I said, a lot of these like 11 to four target games. Gotcha. All right. Uh, let's move on. All right. So tank Dell, obviously a rookie, an established superstar is Cooper cup, seven targets, two grabs, 48 yards. Now I know that they're going to their bye week and some of the narrative will be, well, Brett Rippon just, he stinks. And so I'm not that worried about it. Okay. Now that being said, Bro, Cooper Cup, third straight game with fewer than 50 yards receiving. Third straight. This is not just a one-game blip. These are two games now with Matt Stafford and one game here with Brett Rippon. Real or mirage the struggles of Cooper Cup? Well, I would say like one and a half with each, right? Because uh, Rippon played a, a good True. bit in that Cowboys game. But um, still got 10 targets in that game, fewer than 30 yards. I get it. Um, <clears throat> I think that Cooper Cup... We could certainly be in the decline phase of Cooper Cup's career. I think that's perfectly plausible, right? He's a guy that came into the year with an injury. Um, I think he's looked maybe not at his peak so far this year, but still a lot of really good signs. And I think Cooper Cup probably ha- all health permitted, right? Like if he can just stay on the field. I think he does mm-hmm. have the type of game that would age really well. Um, so I think like Cooper Cup will be in our lives for a long time, but if we get to the season and, you know, remember in the off season, we talked about there's a group of seven in terms of the elite receivers in this league. It was Steph Diggs. It was Tyree kill. It was Jamar chase. It was Justin Jefferson. It was Devonte Adams. Um, it was AJ Brown. Uh, and then it was Cooper cup. He was kind of that seventh guy. If we get to the point where, all right, I'm ready to replace Cooper cup with a CD lamb. Like, but if I think we could be at that that time of Cooper Cup's career. Mm-hmm. He came in the league in 2017, but he was an older player. Again, he started to deal with a lot of lower body injuries. I think that's perfectly possible. I mean, the reality is just like these guys are not going to be productive with Brett Rippon under center. <laughs> like as long as that, as uh-huh. long as that happens. And this team is so, I don't know, man. I what do you, how do you feel about the Rams right now? Because 
we came into the year thinking like, all right, this offense probably not going to be very good. It's Cooper Cup. He's banged up. It's Matthew Stafford. But how long is like how long can he stay healthy? Right. Um, and then Puka Nakua, I think his breakout really sort of like changed the complexion of how we viewed the Rams. But if you looked at like even Stafford's efficiency metrics or like the offense's efficiency metrics overall, he was doing really good stuff and was playing really good football, but he still never got better than like 15th, 16th and adjusted uh, net yards per attempt. They're three and six, like Stafford maybe comes back after the bye, probably comes back after the bye, but like, right. What's the future of the Rams? I guess I'm, I, despite the early season positivity, I still find myself asking that question. I do think that they've played really beyond their overall talent level. You know, I, I know the defense has Aaron Donald on that front line, but I think everyone was concerned about the secondary play uh, for the Rams. And man, they have absolutely surprised uh, and played much better than I think the sum of their parts. Right. So that's been a, a pleasant surprise for them. And I think they've been coached up uh, quite extensively. Um, on the defensive side of the football. That's kept them in a lot of football games, dude, because honestly, I don't think that the offense is very good. Um, yeah. Again, what is we talk about identity. The identity of this team is absolutely to pass the football. But as you mentioned, Matt Stafford, I don't think has played high-level football. I think he's played in a down year of quarterbacking. He has absolutely played above the league average. There's no question. Um, but at the same time, I think the, those moments where he's just, you know, on fire slinging it, I think we see that in spurts and I, mm -hmm. it, I cannot remember a single game where Matt Stafford played an entire game of just high level football. And I think we got that and we were spoiled by that. We were used to seeing that, uh, early in his tenure with Sean McVay, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I don't know, man, like it, it's a, it's a weird team right now because the Rams, as we know them, they never really tank. They're always looking to kind of, you know, one up themselves. Right. So, but where are they right now? Because they've got an older quarterback. They've got a superstar wide receiver who, again, as you mentioned, is probably getting a little longer in the tooth, probably not as effective as he was. Uh, so I think the offense has a lot of question marks. They don't have a running back of note at all. Right. And their offensive line is still a little bit of a rebuild, right? So I'm I'm confused. I don't know what their identity is. They want to pass the ball. I just don't think they're that great at it. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, just if you look at them in weeks one to seven, just in terms of like offensive efficiency, like passing offensive efficiency metrics, they were 12th in EPA per dropback but they were 21st in dropback success rate. So that sort of tells you that they could hit these big plays. They could have these really positive moments. And that's all, by the way, while Stafford's not throwing a lot of passing touchdowns because that's right. been a big thing all year long. He hasn't thrown a lot of passing touchdowns. So they're hitting these big plays, these big moments. That's where the EPA gets factored in. But success rate is more of like a down-to-down, -down, sort of like a consistency metric. So right. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Like, why was there this drastic, like, first half, second half split between Stafford, like, in his passing metrics in the first half and the second half? I think that sort of speaks to that as well. And again, that's just weeks one to seven. That's not like the Brett Rippon effect sort of, of coming <laughs> in here on this whole thing. So, right, right, right. And then when you look at like their, their rushing game, actually was fourth in success rate and fifth in EPA per rush. And a lot of that is Kyron Williams related. Now Kyron Williams has been out of the mix. So it's like this Daryl Henderson, Royce Freeman nonsense. So it just kind of feels like to me, 
at times the Rams were interesting. They were plucky, but now we're still sort of like, gee, I hope Sean McVay is still enjoying the, like I'm coaching the young guys, right? Cause that was a theme of the off season was he was really yeah. reinvigorated by coaching all these young players and, and really falling back in love with coaching as opposed to just the pursuit of Super Bowls and all this stuff. I hope that's still the case, man, because I do think that's how it's going to have to go the rest of the season. For right, me. right. Um, by the way, I, I, when I say the identity of the team is passing, I think that's true. But can I just say that Sean McVay, the success of his passing game is built on the on the effectiveness of his run game. And and him, along with Kyle Shanahan, have really and, St- and Stefanski, too have really just done such a bang up job of drawing up great run schemes. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, their offense is certainly based on, on the passing attack, but man, the foundation of it is absolutely built on that run game. And I think that's what's been so impressive with Sean McVay. I mean, you throw any running back into a McVay system and they're going to be productive, man. So, uh, and that is certainly what we have seen. I want to stay with this team though. Okay. So Cooper cup, uh, three straight games with fewer than 50 receiving yards. Now Puka Nakua has also been pretty up and down with the return of Cooper cup, right? Seven targets, three grabs, 32 yards again. Okay. You want to say Brett Rippon? That's fine. I get it. But third game in four weeks, he's been, sub 50 yards as well. Um, the struggles of Puka Nakua, are they, are they built in with Cooper Cup returning? Real or Mirage? Yeah, no, I, I think these guys, when the offense is right, can coexist together. We've seen that at times. I just don't think the offense is right right now. I really do think like losing Kyron Williams, losing a viable starting running back has been a huge problem for this team. Um, the overall offense just falling apart, like we said, has, has been an issue. Even with Stafford back there, like there were – there were leaks starting to sprout before Stafford got hurt. Like that was pretty clear. So like I said, none of this is really new, but um, I think that Puka is a really, really, really good player. And it's funny because it's like, (laughs) it's funny because like at the beginning of the season, it was, yo, I'm telling you like, no, he's not a fluke, right? Like, like this, this guy's legit. The, the film matches like the fact that he's producing, you know, but then sometimes I think we see a really young player produce and we like, and then like, you know, for example, I would get questioned like, what's the gap between like Chris Olave and Puka Nakua and Dynasty? I'm like, ah, still pretty big, man. Like I think Puka's <laughs> shown really good things. I think Chris yeah. Olave, who hasn't played to it this year, has like top 10 wide receiver potential. Like let's dial that back a little bit, even though again, like the numbers are great with Puka. The film is really good with Puka. I'm not super concerned about him as like a fluke or a flash in the pan or anything like that. But I do think that this offense is going to continue to sort of, I don't know, struggle, but just not hit the same highs we saw to start yeah. the year. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Uh, I want to shift over to Dallas now. Jalen Tolbert had himself a, a pretty nice productive day, obviously an extremely productive day for the passing game for Dallas. Uh, Philadelphia's pass defense. Has there been a pass defense that has just gone from the 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 ceiling to the basement as quickly right. as Philadelphia right now? Because last year they were absolutely one of the most feared pass defenses in the NFL. You didn't want to throw against Slay and Bradbury, and now both those guys um, pretty beatable. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a surprise but Jalen Tolbert regardless 
I mean, again, you highlighted this guy. I think it was last year, uh, going into last year, and obviously he had some issues there. But uh, his most productive game, I mean, by like a million miles, okay? <laughs> Five targets, three grabs, 49 yards, and, and a touchdown here for Jalen Tolbert. Uh, real or mirage because he played just about as many sta- snaps as uh, Michael Gallup. Yeah, 25 routes for Gallup, 22 for Jalen Tolbert. And look, I've said this a lot. Um, feel for Michael Gallup injuries suck, but like we're just kind of trending that way with Michael Gallup, you know, where he just does yeah. has never seemed to really, whether it's physically or, or, or mentally, like he's just never seemed to have recovered from that injury that he, the late season ACL uh, tear that he had at the end of the 2021 season. So right. that just like is what it is with, with Gallup and like Jalen Tolbert got a lot of really good reviews in the off season. Uh, apparently he had a really strong training camp. They were very happy with the way he came back and like attacked the um the the process and 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 the off season after not ha- doing basically not doing anything his rookie year when there was a right. pretty clear opportunity for him to do something in that Dallas receiving room last year and i think it is kind of a credit to him that look they're not just slamming their head against the wall with michael gallup over and over again like sometimes less is more with players and maybe that can help them build their confidence back up and maybe that's what they're looking at for michael gallup but i do think there's a non-zero percent chance that like, oh, Jalen Tolbert's just going to take a take a job from him, right? Even Brandon Cooks mm-hmm. has like been a bit player so far. I thought we'd see more out of Brandon Cooks. Um, that hasn't been the case, but at the same time, it's kind of hard to blame them when they're just revolving the entire plane around CD Lamb. Like that is the yeah. offense they should run. That is the best version of themselves. Jake Ferguson, your boy, looks like the best, the second best skill position player on the team right now behind CeeDee yep. Lamb. But Tolbert has continued to give him some flashes. And I really liked Tolbert as a prospect. I thought he was a good, solid day three draft pick. Um, he went a little bit earlier than that, but I thought he was a good, solid, like fourth, late third, early fourth round player. Um, and and he was just kind of like a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none, solid separator, solid in contested situations, solid hands overall. Um, they, and look, Dallas could use a little more solid than what they've gotten so far in the receiver room. Yeah, from the profile that um, that I read of Tolbert and just kind of watching him play a little bit, I, I get the sense that he would just be a, a an ideal like flanker type of player for Dallas. Uh, am I am I correct in saying that? Because again, I don't see a lot of like downfield X receiver type stuff, man. But if this guy could go out and play flanker and just be kind of like, again, that, that, that utility tool uh, at wide receiver, I feel like that could help both him and, and the Dallas Cowboys. Well, the beautiful part uh, of all of this now is that we've started to see, you know, CD lamb be used all over the field, right? We've seen him be used more of like an outside receiver, which when you don't just have CD lamb exclusively running out of the slot, when you have him, I mean, look, you're always going to want him be to be a slot receiver, especially in a matchup like the Eagles where they have Bradbury and slay have not played to um, perfection. Uh, but at the same time, he's also a guy that like you're going to want, or that's also a defense where you're going to want to attack the slot just because yep, of the hundred percent weakness there of Ante Maddox has not been in the, in the picture and, and that that's been a weak spot for them. So sure. You can use him in the slot. He's a, he's a matchup nightmare in the slot, but lately they've been getting him some targets at that X receiver out in the perimeter. And that allows like a Jalen Tolbert to come onto the field. Um, theoretically it would allow, and this was the case the week prior, not, not last week against the Eagles, but 
Um, it was a, you can get Brandon Cooks slot reps and stuff like that, where I think that's a pretty good fit for him. So yeah, I think we'll continue to see Ceedee Lamb move around the field, play some X receiver, but I think Tolbert can play a little bit of X, but he's probably more so yeah, like a number two flanker type. So Ceedee Lamb on the season has played about sixty five percent of his snaps lined up inside and about thirty five percent. Uh, lined up out wide in this game against Philadelphia. It was uh, it, that number came down from 65% inside to about 55% inside to what Matt is saying that they've been using him. Uh, I think a little bit more around that formation, including the X and including flanker and just kind of moving him around as a movable chess piece as we, I mean, listen, bro, this guy just, I mean, went off on this defense, nearly 200 yards receiving uh, for C.D. Lamb in that game, uh, unfortunately, in a, in a losing effort uh, for the Cowboys. But, man, they played really good football, uh, especially on the offensive side of the football. And, uh, and, and, and offensively, I thought they took care of business, but uh, just couldn't make some small plays, small big plays, I guess, is, is probably how I would describe it um, down the stretch there. But Michael Gallup, I uh, just wanted to talk about Michael Gallup very quickly here. So on the season has played about 65% of the snaps on the season in total. Right. But then what we see here from that Philadelphia game is that, um, they're, they're kind of sort of easing off of Michael Gallup now. Right. So he goes from about 65% to about 48%, right. Snap share. Uh, and again, the, the route percentage and stuff like that also going down Jalen Tolbert's moving the other way and they're utilizing more Brandon cooks, as well. Brother, can you explain to me how in God's green earth does Brandon Cooks run 44 routes and see two targets total in this football game? I mean, damn near played 80% of the snaps, ran 44 routes, got two targets in this ball game. How? I don't understand. I think it's going to almost be sort of like like the Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen thing last year where we get to the end of the year and it's like, man, is Brandon Cooks just donezo? Because look at his like targets per route run and stuff like that. Um, but it's like, well, he's playing across from a guy that's making that jump into the elite tier. I think these guys both came into the the, the league the, the same year, right? Where Justin Jefferson um, and, and the boys, you know, 20, there's a 2020 draft class, right? Was the Justin Jefferson CD Lamb draft. Um, they came in the year at the same time, and I think last year was the year that Jefferson took the jump into the elite tier. I think he mm-hmm. might have already been there, honestly, after his uh, after his second season. But um, then this looks like the year that CeeDee Lamb is making that jump into the elite tier. It looks like the Cowboys have finally figured that out, right? Where, oh, when are we the best as an offense? It's when we spread the field. It's when we get CeeDee Lamb some outside reps. We talked about mm-hmm. that. 21-yard average, twenty one average depth of target against the Eagles on outside reps for wow. CeeDee Lamb. So that's where you wow. can really get him explosive plays. And it's just like, yeah, in that scenario, you're not funneling looks to Brandon Cooks because he's not that type of player, especially at this point in his career. Brandon Cooks can be like a solid role player, but he's mm-hmm. not like a, a true – he's not a 1B receiver. He was never going to be a 1B receiver type for the Dallas Cowboys. He was going to be like maybe a 2. He's, yeah. he's probably been more like a a low 2, high 3 type for, for the Cowboys. He's a bit player, which is fine when you can funnel the offense 191 yards um, through CeeDee Lamb. It's okay in that scenario. It's fine for the Cowboys. Again, I think you could probably – ask for more than what they've gotten out of cooks right now. But, um, CD is just taking that jump where like the best thing you can do is like make him the first read every time. And like, 
if Dak never gets off the first read because the first read is CeeDee Lamb and he's one of the best route runners in the NFL and can always get open, hard to blame him for not throwing the ball to Brandon Cooks. Yeah, no, I definitely hear that. It is interesting, though, when I watch Brandon Cooks and when when they actually do target him, he's making plays, right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't feel as if um, he's played poorly this year, uh, certainly by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you're right. It's like, look, you're going to go to CeeDee Lamb, of course, as your number one option. I'm just surprised. <laughs> Um, and again, when we talk about, you know, targets per route run, I think for, for Brandon cook, something like, I don't know, like one target for every 12 routes run or something would probably be more normal for him. Right. Um, whereas, you know, again, two targets in, in 44 routes, that's just, wow. I was like, what <laughs> out here getting his cardio is Brandon cooks, man. Holy hell. My dude's out here running around and just seeing no looks whatsoever. So I, I was a little bit surprised by that. But um, that's just how football is sometimes. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, honestly, Matt, next week if, if the Cowboys, um, you know, they, they suddenly find Brandon Cooks a little bit more open uh, and oh, get sure. him more involved, you know. So sometimes that stuff just evens out. Again, though, it does come back to your guy Ferguson, man, who has continued mm-hmm. to stack weeks together. He's second on the team in targets. He's second on the team in receiving yards. Again, he looks like their most dynamic threat beyond C.D. Lamb in the pass game, in the run game, because the run game hasn't been good. And I think they're kind of like, no. all right, we're not giving Tony Pollard – Sorry, fantasy uh, freaks. They're not. We're not giving Tony Pollard, you know, twenty carries or twenty touches or anything. He's just never going to be yeah. good in that scenario. So we're going to have to throw the ball a lot. And and Jake Ferguson has really been sort of that breakout guy in that scenario. And and man, yeah, he's he's been really good. I think he offers them some dynamism in the open field. I think they probably could have thrown to him on that fourth down play that they threw. Agreed. To Colbert. Uh, he was. Oh. Kind of open on that inbreaker there. There was a few mistakes from Dak Prescott, in the, especially late in that game. But overall, I think Dak's played really well since that Chargers game. I think, obviously, like I said, CeeDee Lamb being the revolving like figure of the offense has been yeah. – um, it's been pretty critical. Uh, all right. So we are more than halfway through now. I uh, want to get some a temperature check on some you know players that uh, that you've kept an eye on here. So about halfway through the season now, Matt, more than halfway through the season, who is your biggest wide receiver surprise of the year thus far? Biggest wide receiver surprise for me so far. I mean, obviously, we talk, feel like we talk about Puka a lot. He's got to be mm-hmm. considered like one of the biggest surprises, of course. But um, we talked about that with... Uh, you know, Nate Tice a few weeks ago where like that was really a surprising development. I think hmm, biggest surprises uh, and just on positive stuff. I think Rasheed Rice has been a big surprise for me. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's almost it's been such a stark surprise that we've almost like overblown it a little bit. Right. Where he's not a fully developed player. He's um really good at a couple of things. Mostly it's yards. I think like 70% of his yards this year have come after contact or after the catch, um, which makes sense because he can really only run a small handful of routes and get in the open field and break tackles, but he's really raw as a separator against man coverage. But shoot, like again, I thought his college film was terrible. Now I've, mm-hmm. I've said over and over again that it was probably injury related and and that probably completely tainted his reception perception data. So like, the second that we saw him playing in the NFL and making plays, it was like, you go ahead and take that and you throw it in the trash, whatever. It's fine. It doesn't matter. That profile is now like, you know, negated because of the way we see that it was obviously injury related. However, I still think it's been a surprise for me how, um, 
competent he's been from day one. And like, it's probably not good that he's their best wide receiver so far this year. They really needed more guys to step up and they needed like veterans like MVS to, I don't know what they were expecting at the MVS to be, but (laughs) right, right, right. right. I don't know what they were expecting Justin Watson to be or or whatever, but um, Rasheed Rice has pretty clearly been their best wide receiver so far this year. Okay, so we'll flip it to the other side, though. Biggest disappointment of the year thus far, again, as we are at the halfway mark. Uh, man, it probably has to be Chris Olave. Um, I don't think that he's been bad by any means. You know, like, I think some of it has been bad situation. Obviously, mm-hmm. like, that Saints offense is weirdly obsessed with, like, bit players, you know, beyond even just, like, Taysom Hill, right? They have Lynn Bowden, who only ever blocks and never really gets targets. And even to the point that like <clears throat> the Colts defense was like calling him out. I mean, they, exactly. the, Colts got beat. the Colts got beat by the way, but you know, yeah. they did, they were pointing this out uh, and he's been a good blocker for them and he's opened up some plays uh, with it's his funny. routes. But still, I think like, I think I'm just, I feel like there's been obvious meat left on the bone with Chris Olave this year. And some of it is his fault. He has to wear the blame for some of it, but other parts mm-hmm. of it is just the Derek Carr of it all, the saints offenses of it all. But I think he's it, played like a top 20 NFL receiver, but like, I yeah. know he could be a top 10 receiver. It's, it's interesting to me because um, it was one of my major concerns. And this was again, just kind of marrying these powerful tools that we have at our disposal uh, between your charting and Derek Klassen's charting. But uh, where Chris Olave made himself special last year was deep down the field. Right. And, uh, and again, when you look at the, 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 the nine post and corner route um, and just how good and how effective he was on those routes, um, that's why you were like, yeah, Olave's the truth, man. Like this guy can absolutely make that leap. Unfortunately, when you looked at the charting profile for Derek Carr, he, where he was the weakest was probably on those routes, on yeah. those deeper routes. Right. Um, and I think we were quick to kind of push that, like, you know, kind of sweep it under the rug. But I did, br- I remember I brought that up on a show once, but I was with you hundred percent. I'm like, yo, Chris Olave is the truth, man. Like, I love this kid. I think he can really make the leap, but I don't think we put enough credence into that mismatch um, of those, uh, of the route chart and, and the quarterback charting. You know what I'm saying? And I think that has been where a lot of that friction comes between quarterback and wide receiver. And, you know, the way that Derek Carr just like, like we talk about Chris Olave, like quitting on routes and stuff like that. Well, Derek Carr, like getting before, like ch- getting to the back of his, getting to the top of his drop back and checking down immediately, <laughs> like immediately. that, that is the same thing as quitting on your routes. That's quitting on the plates. Like those wide receivers haven't even broken on their routes yet. Right. There's no chance like that. That's just going to piss those guys off because there's no chance that they're ever going to get the ball. And so right. it kind of like is a it feeds into itself, right? Where the negativity of that feeds into the negativity of then like, all right, Chris Olave, is he dogging it sometimes out there in the field? I mean, definitely he's out there dogging it on the field sometimes, which then pisses off the quarterback even more. And it just right. becomes all this negative stuff. So hopefully all that stuff can get sorted out. Um, you know, but I mean, Derek Carr like is who he is at this point. Like we're going right. to kind of continue to live through that. I mean, that's the thing when you have a guy that is a, you know, um, downfield merchant, right? Like you got to get a quarterback that's willing to get hit, 
you know, and I know it's easy for us to sit here behind a computer screen with microphones in our faces and say, sure. yo, you got to stay in there and take a hit. I'm just saying, though, I mean, again, when you've got a guy who can win downfield, unfortunately, that is what comes with the territory. Is it not like you have yeah. to find a quarterback that is willing to stay in the pocket and absorb hits every now and again? Derek Carr has ever since he broke his leg has never been that guy. So it, it was an interesting I think it was an interesting thought experiment from New Orleans, uh, and I think we wanted more. We were kind of hoping for more, but at the end of the day, Derek Carr is who he is. Also, um, you know, and I think this comes back to the coaching part of it too. Chris Olave gets fewer layups, I think, than almost any receiver in the NFL. You're right, but certainly any number one receiver in the NFL. Like it really drives me crazy. So far in the games I've sampled this year for reception perception, he's run a slant on just 9% of his sampled routes. Last year, it was 7.9%, lowest among all the players I charted in 2022. No one else ran a slant on fewer than 10% of their routes in 2022. So far this year, only two other guys are south of 10%. Um, Jahan Dotson uh, and, and Zay Flowers. Of course, Jahan Dotson not getting a lot of layups either. Um, so yeah, man, it's like, that's a, That's that insane. is a, I'm actually like, now that we're talking about it, I'm going to look up the historical data too. Like how, how often has there any been any receiver, um, that's, that's come under 10%, uh, of, of their routes being slant. I mean, it has to be like nobody, right. Um, it, it's just insane. Like you think of the term, like number one receiver, like I'm getting the ball in this guy's hands, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what, I'm going to make it easy. Um, and they, the saints just don't do that. Yeah. So there's been. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys in reception perception history that have had a slant <laughs> route lower than 10%. One wow. is Will Fuller. Oh, my God. One is Kenny Stills, ironically, wow. Saints. Okay. Two yeah. are John, let's two separate John Brown seasons, both in their in his first two seasons in the NFL. One is the great Justin Hunter. Mm. Oh boy. And the other is Mike Evans' rookie season, which Mike okay. Evans was like a pure shot player in his rookie season. Yeah. Like hopefully that's the that's the example here. Cause like Chris Olave is not Will Fuller. Chris Olave, I love John Brown. And, and I think John Brown was underrated as a true full field separator, a true full field route runner. But like he's not John Brown, like in the Cardinals offense when he was running right. those like deep, deep, deep routes all the time. Like, I get it. You want this guy to um to, to make big plays because he's a great downfield route runner, but that's not all he is like that would be crazy. So in, in 2014, Mike Evans, 8% slant route rate in his rookie season in 2015, it jumps to 23.9%. Chris Olave is not pacing for 23.9% of his routes <laughs> being a slant. He's pacing the other direction when it's just still more deep stuff. So that has been another really frustrating thing with Chris Olave. It's like the lack of layups. And you know he feels it too. Like you know he feels it too that like, yeah, he's getting all these targets. He's getting all these air yards. How many of those air yards are prayer yards with Derek Carr? A lot. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I just, I'm confused. You know, it's again, when he's the clear cut, by the way, there's nobody else on this team where you're like, I got to get him the football, right? Like yeah. he's the clear cut They have cut good guy. players. They have good, got players. good players. Like, yeah, sure. Mike we love Thomas Shahid. Is a, Rashid Shahid is awesome. Love Rashid Shahid. Totally. Uh, Mike Thomas is good. Still a pretty good player, like possession receiver. Yep. But totally. Like, we don't. We don't need to have it be like 15 prairie yard targets to Chris Olave and 10 checkdowns to Alvin Kamara again. 
I just don't like, and again, but by the way, I'm not opposed to, to getting Alvin Kamara, the football out of the backfield. I think that's smart. Uh, I think it's a team. I, I think the saints certainly abandoned that last year to the detriment of their own team. Um, uh, but again, this is a, a massive overcorrection, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, and I, I just don't understand it. You know, when you have a guy who is the clear cut number one, why, why are we doing this? Why, why are we not generating looks for this guy? Why are we not generating plays like force feeding him the football? Like every other team does with their clear cut number one, every team does this to your point. I, I don't, I, I don't understand. I really don't understand, uh, what the team thought is here uh, on the usage of Chris Olave, but I don't know, whatever. Here we are, and this is why uh, the Saints are not that great. Um, okay, um, so, okay, that was the biggest disappointment. Um, sleeper wide receiver for the second half that you're going to keep an eye on, and it could be more than one, but uh, but give me, a, give me a guy that you think may come out of his shell here in the second half. Yeah, I'll give a couple here. Um, I mean, how about Jahan Dotson? I like it. Sure. John Dotson's stacked two good weeks together. I know Curtis Samuel hasn't been healthy, but like, right. We've just talked about this. Like, where are all your Jahan Dotson receiving yards? They were in the Sam Howell sack yards the last couple <laughs> weeks. He hasn't been getting sacked at like an, alor- an alarming historic rate. Right. And like, John Dotson in the in-season charting data, 76.9% success rate versus man, 80% mm. success rate versus press, 78.6% mm. success rate versus zone. Like this guy is open downfield. He hasn't been perfect this year. There's some drops he probably wants back. I, I totally get that, but he's been open. That has been available, and we've started to see that sort of stack together. Like I could totally see Jahan Dotson's slow start to the season and painfully slow. I get if you drafted him, yeah. you probably dropped him. You're pissed, whatever. You don't care about it at this point. But for those of us that just appreciate Jahan Dotson as a player, I'm glad to see this is happening. Yeah. And like, I bet you we look back at the end of the season and be like, oh, why did Jahan Dotson like not produce in the first half of the season? Shit happens, man. Like that, yeah. That's just the explanation for it. Well, and again, he's on a team with two other good wide receivers. One of them right. is borderline a great wide receiver, right? Terry McLaurin, uh, again, borderline top 12 wide receiver in real life. Yeah, he's going to soak up a lot of targets. And then meanwhile, you know, I was talking about this too. Um, it, it's interesting, right? Like when you've got two guys and they're on the opposite side of the field uh, and you're not designing plays to be like a high-low read uh, for these two guys, um, I just wonder, are they making a mistake by not lining them up in the same spots, right? On the same yeah, side of the football field. You know what I mean? Because Howell, who is an inexperienced quarterback and quite frankly, probably not the best processor in the whole world to begin with anyways. If his first read is Terry McLaurin, imagine this quarterback now having to make go across the entire field to make his second read for it to be Jahan Dotson. That's really hard. That's why I think Curtis Samuel uh, is probably his second look most likely in that it, they're probably working on the same side of the football field, right? A little bit of a high, low concept. And you know, Curtis Sam is probably going to be somewhere in that underneath area of the football field. So when your eyes go from Terry McLaurin, they could just drop immediately down to Curtis Samuel. All right, now if he's covered, now we got to go to our third read. And this is when <laughs> Sam Howell gets in trouble, right? So, yeah, exactly. uh, so again, so I, I just wonder if there's no Curtis Samuel, who Matt has told us again and again and again, certified good player is Curtis Samuel, right? An ability to, to get open and create some separation for himself. If that guy's not on the football field, 
all right, well, Sam Howell's eyes are obviously going to start going to the other guy, which is going to be Jahan Dotson. So I do wonder, um, just from a, a conceptual standpoint, if that's playing a part of it as well. Makes a lot of sense. And like Dotson has been, he's done more slot stuff this year, uh, which I think maybe is a part of like trying to get that high-low concept like you mentioned. But for the most part, it's still an outside receiver for yeah. the Washington Commanders. And he runs a lot of like, curls and comebacks and out routes so that is like a pure backside progression read where like you said if if terry if even if he's your flanker on the backside there like and terry's your ex and curtis samuel's your slot it's not like anybody's ever crossing into his field of vision there yeah you got to come all the way across yeah yeah you got to come all the way across and by the way those routes too those are a lot of timing based routes man like those aren't like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and make that read. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not my third read option, you know, like yeah. that's, that's going to be tough. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. So, um, Jahan Dotson, anybody else sleeper wide receiver for the second half? Yeah, I think, I think if the damn Browns passing offense ever got right, I still think there's a lot of potential with Elijah Moore, but I mean, I'm not totally, I'm not buying in on that that much. I just don't have a lot of faith in that passing game. <laughs> I'll talk about like rookie sleeper wide receivers. And we mentioned okay. him a little bit on the, on the sicko stream, but I'll mention it here. I do think Michael Wilson of the Arizona Cardinals is interesting. Mm. Uh, we had a long back and forth on Michael Wilson about, you know, how he's actually looked pretty good from a success rate versus man coverage standpoint, 72% success rate versus man, um, 75% success rate versus press. Now he's not very good against zone coverage, 67.9%. That's not great from what you want, but mm-hmm. these are just a two game sample. He'll have a full profile on the in season rookie report, which should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. So get excited about that. There you go. Um, but I do think he's shown a good bit. Um, he's shown an ability to get open against some of the best defenses. Like this two-game sample came against the 49ers and the Cowboys, two very, very good defenses in the NFL. Um, but I, you know, obviously when Kyler Murray's back there, I think we could look at him as a guy that's like a pure outside receiver, going to be a ball winner on the outside, fits pretty well with what I think Kyler Murray does well. So um, I think he's a pretty decent sleeper for the back half of the year. So you know me, I, I love deep guys. I love deep sleepers. And um, I look at what we got there with Cleveland. You talk about Cleveland there, okay. Um, I'm actually more intrigued now with Cedric Tillman than Elijah Moore. And that's saying something because you know how much I love Elijah Moore. Um, I'm intrigued by Cedric Tillman because, again, you take a look at the number of routes run there in his first game after the DPJ trade. Um, and man, he, he was a highly utilized player, not from a target perspective, obviously, mm-hmm. but 21 routes run. It was uh, tied for third on the team outside of Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore as predicted, right? Um, only saw one target with one grab for three yards. So you're thinking, okay, well, why would you be excited about that? Well, it was such a huge increase in total routes run uh, for Cedric Tillman. It's a clear tell for me that the team is now saying like, all right, you know what? We're going to give this rookie a chance um, and we're going to see if he can make some plays, man. Uh, In the first four weeks of the season, okay, his snap count never went above 14 total. And then here in week number nine, he played 52 offensive snaps, right? So he just went from zero to 100 and just, I mean, all the way in, you know, and the team is saying, okay, okay, Rook, we're going to give you an opportunity. 
And for a lot of a lot of these guys, it makes sense around this time, right, Matt? We're mm-hmm. we're going. It's week number nine. We're going to week number ten. A lot of these we've seen the story again and again and again. Rookie wide receivers somehow, some way, it clicks for them, and then they start to take off. So, uh, in terms of a, a a deep deep sleeper, in terms of like a guy who's a rookie who could make a splash, I do wonder if Cedric Tillman could be that guy. I like that. Um, you know what we saw in that first game without Donovan Peoples Jones, you know, David Bell was their uh rookie from 2022. He's a pure slot player though. He was out, he didn't play. I think if you know, we'll see if Cedric Tillman holds the job over David Bell cuz I think it would take a reconfiguring of the receiver room like I think most likely no matter what, Amari Cooper is going to stick as their X receiver because yep. he's been so good as their X receiver. So Tillman, who is kind of more of a natural X, was lining up at the flanker position. I was talking to somebody um, who was there live at the game and said that, that it w- he was lining up as the flanker in the preseason or in the pregame warmups. And then Elijah Moore staying as the slot. Now, I think if they wanted to play David Bell, it would mean Cooper stays at X, Moore goes out the flanker, and David Bell is the slot receiver and and David Bell's not going to give them the same amount of juice from some of this pre-snap motion not which I'm so tired of this stuff anyways like the little gimmicky stuff with Elijah Moore like <laughs> I want to see him run some real yeah, routes exactly. like let's go but exactly come um, on we'll see Tillman Tillman is really interesting he's definitely a deep sleeper um I just don't have a lot of faith in the uh, Browns passing game I think that's fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair I think that's very fair all right so there you go man uh that's the show we're gonna be back with you here in a couple of days as we get you ready for week number 10 but for now we're peace and out of here for Matt Harmon I'm James Coe we'll see you and remember it's never too late to chase your dreams peace <laughs>